I'm gonna let y'all know in advance. I'm excited about this sermon, so y'all better hang on. Alright, we're gonna be jumping all over the place, so get your Bibles ready. We're jumping all over the place this morning. I want you to put yourself about 2,000 years ago. Right? We're talking about discipleship, right? For the for the past several weeks, we've been going over the Dumplin Baptist um, mission, which is to worship, serve, and disciple. Right, and we've gone through worship is uh, y'all better know this by now. Worship is okay. That's a little better than before. Worship is love expressed. If you love God, you will express it. If you don't love God, you won't express it. And then we say that we serve because Jesus serves us, and so and then we serve others. Right, that's the great commandment to love God and love others. We are going to serve because Jesus serves us. And now we're going on to discipleship. And and this morning we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a disciple. So for us to do that, you need to think back about 2,000 years ago. And and I want you to think about these regular men that Jesus called to follow him. These were regular men. There were nothing really special about them. And Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And we know the response. The response was, okay, I'm going. Right? But there's these regular men, these men who had jobs, who had families, who had hobbies, a social life, all agreed to drop everything to follow after this man named Jesus. And here's the thing about it. 2,000 years ago when they agreed to follow, their lives were changed forever. And 2,018 years later, when you decide to follow Jesus now, your life will be changed forever. They had no idea what they were getting into. They had no idea that Jesus would literally change every aspect of their life. But fast forward, Jesus calls us today to follow me. The same thing that he commanded the disciples back then. And so for us to understand um, what a disciple is, we have to deal with the simple question, what is a disciple? And then you have to figure out on your own, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Uh, We know the Great Commission. Go therefore and make what? Disciples. But if I was to ask you guys this morning to tell me what a disciple is, how many of you could tell me what a disciple is? So we're going to go through that this morning. Let's pray. And y'all better hang on. We're jumping around this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're excited that you are here with us, God. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, we pray for more of you. We want more of your presence here in this church and more of your presence in our life, Father. Um, But God, I pray that as we go through your commands, Jesus, as we read your words and what you speak to us, I pray that you would soften our heart, that we would hear and that we would think um, about those words, God, and that we would look at our lives, um, God, and, and really question if we're really following you or not, Father. God, I pray for your conviction in our lives. Change us, Father, today. Do not let us leave unchanged, God. God, use me as your microphone. Speak. Spirit, we just thank you for your presence. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So before we start jumping around, I want to give you a quick definition of what a disciple is. Basically, a disciple is like a student or apprentice, right? It's basically a learner or a follower. Back in those days, they had these rabbis were teachers, right? Anybody ever heard of the word rabbi before? Raise your hand. I know you have. Rabbi is a teacher. And what would happen is a rabbi would have his students and they would go wherever he went. They would do whatever he did. They would live as their rabbi would live. And so with that in your mind, 
The definition, the simple definition that we're going to use it because I know I like simple things. Amen? Are you glad that your pastor likes simple things? You should be, right? To keep our definition simple, a disciple is a follower. Say a disciple is a follower. Is a follower. A disciple is a follower. And worship is what? Love is prayer. And we serve because what? Jesus serves us. Man, y'all are getting it. Come on. Right? So our simple definition, a disciple is a follower. So with that in mind, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ simply means to obey his call to follow him. Does that make sense? To be a disciple of Jesus, if disciple means follower, to be a disciple of Jesus means to follow him. To go where Jesus goes. To do as Jesus says. And to live as Jesus lives. Notice I didn't say live, but live. We are to follow Jesus. So the first place we're going to be turning to, go ahead and turn to Matthew. And we're going to be staying in the Gospels this morning. But I want us to look at the first disciples that were called. Matthew chapter 4. And, and we're going to be looking at this account and the account of Luke. So we keep your finger in Matthew. Um, but y'all know that the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Y'all know that? Those are the four Gospel accounts. And, and if you read through them, you'll notice, this, you'll see some of the same stories. That's because these authors are writing their point of view of what they saw being with Jesus. The Holy Spirit um, inspired them and they wrote down their version of what they saw and how they lived. And they actually wrote according to the context of the people that they were going to be doing ministry with. And so we're, we're going to look at the same story in two different gospel accounts this morning because I want you to see something. Y'all with me this morning? Y'all awake? Amen? Amen? Come on. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now turn over to Luke. We're doing sword drill this morning. Luke chapter 5. I want y'all to see this. I, don't, I love that y'all trust me, but I want you to see it for yourself. And the context of Luke chapter 5, Jesus had been baptized and now he's starting his ministry. And he happened to be on this journey and essentially just ran into some bad fishermen. Right? That's what, that's what we're going to call bad fishermen. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. If you're not there, you can follow along with me. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. This tells me that they were bad fishermen. They gave up, right? They gave up on their fishing day. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and that their nets were breaking. 
They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Man, you guys have to understand that they had been fishing throughout the night into the early morning. They had caught nothing. They were literally cleaning their nets. They had given up. But what you need to understand is that in this culture where they live, that's what you did. You grew up and you became a fisherman. In East Texas, people grow up and they go into the oil rig work here in East Tennessee. I don't know what y'all do except for moonshine or something like that, right? That, that was what the, that's what the community did. They grew up and, they, hey, my dad and my dad's dad, we were all fishermen. We're all going to fish. So these men were out fishing but caught nothing. And then all of a sudden, here comes this carpenter, right? He said, hey, can I get in your boat? I got to teach these people something. So this carpenter gets in the boat and he says, hey, uh, why don't you guys go out a little bit more and throw your net on that side of the boat? Now, I don't know about you, but that would have made me mad, right? So I, the only way I can put it into perspective for me as a, as a skateboarder, okay? You try a trick over and over and over. Has anybody ever skateboarded in their life? I just want to see the one, two. I, I appreciate y'all for, for being honest. Thank you, right? You try tricks over and over and over and over and you fall down and you get frustrated, right? And you got to walk away. And then somebody comes up to you who is not as good as you are and says, well, hey, if you put your foot like this, you, you might land the trick, right? And what makes me more frustrated is that I do that and I land the trick, right? Or in basketball, someone says, if you, if you shoot like this, then you'll make it and you try it and you do. I want you to feel how those fishermen felt. Jesus said, hey, have y'all tried on that side of the boat? Well, no, duh, Jesus. <laughs> I've tried everything. But what Jesus was trying to show them is that you haven't tried me yet. You haven't tried me yet. And they cast on that side of the boat. Man, their boats were sinking. They had to call in another boat from the side. And they, had, they were filling both boats up. And, Jim, and Peter said, man, there's something weird about you, man. Whatever it is, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I think that we have forgotten how worthy Jesus is of our praise. I think we've forgotten how special Jesus is. I think we've forgotten how Jesus changes our lives. Like Peter, he says, I'm not worthy to be around you. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish, and they had taken, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see, Jesus had a different plan for these men. They had a, he had a different plan. Their, their plan was probably to, to grow up and live the fisherman life just like everybody else around them. Right? And, and they, they said, I'm just going to keep doing the same old, same old thing. But Jesus had a different plan. Thank the Lord that he has a different plan for our lives. I know the times in my life where I've tried to make my own plan. God kind of laughed at me and, and shut many doors right in my face. And when it was hard for me to go through certain doors that he was opening for me, he just kind of shoved me in, right? Has anybody ever experienced that before? But I'm glad that Jesus has a different plan for their life and for our life. And I want you to know that Jesus does have a plan for you. Jesus has a plan for your life. 
Look at what Jesus said to these men. He said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. You will be catching men. In Matthew's account, he said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus had this special plan and purpose for these men. And it wasn't just going through the motions. Jesus' plan wasn't just doing the same old, same old thing. Go to church on Sunday. Go to church on Sunday night. Go to church on Wednesday night. That's not Jesus' plan for your life. Jesus has a plan for your life that will blow your mind if you choose to follow Him. That will change every single aspect of your life if you give it to Him. You all with me this morning? I hope so. I hope you all get this. Today, Jesus is calling you to follow him just as he called those men to follow me. And and here's the thing. He said, do not fear. Right. They had a lot of things to fear. Right. These men had to leave their jobs. Leave their security, leave their family. He said, man, I, I just follow me, drop everything and follow me. I want you to imagine what these men told their father who was in the boat with them. Right. It was probably their dad's boat. Right, it's probably going to be passed down in the family, and he, they come up to their dad and say, "Hey, dad, I don't know if you just saw that, but we got to follow that dude. We're gone." Right? I want you to imagine if you were your son came to you. Right? I don't have a kid, but if my son ever came to me and said, "Hey, dad, I'm going to go follow this dude," I'm like, "No, you're not. <laughs> you're coming back home." But they left their family. Jesus said, "Follow me. I have a great plan and purpose." For your life. Do not be afraid. Trust me. Follow me. And you have to know that Jesus is calling us to do the same thing. You have to know that. And so we know that a disciple is a follower. So the question is, how do you follow Jesus? How do you become a follower of Jesus? You have to first follow. Right? That's pretty simple. Y'all agree with that? Amen? To be a follower, you first have to follow, right? To understand how to follow Jesus, um, let's look at what he said before the calling that he gave the men. Turn to Matthew chapter 4 again. This is before Jesus gave them the call to follow him. And and to give you a little context of what's happening, John the Baptist had been doing ministry and he's preparing the way for Jesus. Right? Y'all know about that, right? John the Baptist, he's the voice in the wilderness calling out, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And, and John, um, this is kind of toward the end of his ministry and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right? And, and we're going to read a little bit and you'll see that, um, that John the Baptist is getting arrested and Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus fulfills this prophecy um, of Isaiah and now he's in Galilee doing his work. Okay, so let's read Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun. And I don't know how to say that one. Y'all say that one with me. Someone say that one. There you go. That's good enough. So that, that, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Verse 15. The land of Zelma and the land of... Say it again, brother. I'm just testing you. (laughs) The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16. The people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. In other words, Jesus is here. 
Okay? And then look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus begins his ministry and he doesn't change the message. John the Baptist had been preaching, repent, repent. And Jesus comes into the scene and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus didn't change the message. He said, the only way to get to the Father is through me. The only way to be forgiven of your sin is to be forgiven by the Father. And that is to repent for the kingdom is at hand. The first call that Jesus places on us is to repent. Now, how many of you have heard that word repent before? Right? Many of us, right? If I was to ask you to explain the word repent, how many of you would be able to do that? Praise God. I'm glad. Right? To give you a little definition of repent. Repent means to turn away from your self-centered thinking and your own self-control and to turn your life over into Christ's direction and control. It means stop trying to be the boss of your own life and allow Jesus to be the boss of your life. Repenting means to turn away from your own desire and your own sin and surrender not just a little bit of your life, but your entire life to Christ. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you take that literally, if you had gotten word that a king was on his way, this is the king of kings, the strongest of the kings. He's the Lord of Lord, and he's coming with his army, and he's coming to destroy everything and to take back reign over everything, and especially those who do not follow him. If you were to get that word that that king was coming, what would you do? Okay? You have two options, right? The first option is to get your army... And prepare for a fight that you know you're fixing to lose. The second option is you're going to go meet the king where he's at and try to do whatever you can do in order to be in right standing with that king. Right? If you heard that the army was coming, the king was coming, your two options, you can fight if you want. But the best thing to do is try to become in right standing with the king. Amen? Y'all with me on that? If you take that literally, okay? Repent means to turn. Keep that in mind that that comes with a mindset of changing directions. On Wednesday night, I was able to talk to four of our children in our children's ministry. And they said, well, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. And, I, and these four children, I'm going through the gospel with them. And they know their stuff, man. They, they know the scripture. And it's, it's because of the Awana program and God working in their lives and the Sunday school teachers. And I'm asking them, what is repent? And one of those children stood up and said, well, if I'm going this way, repent means I need to turn and go this way. I said, absolutely, that's what that means. And so repent means if you're following your own direction, your own sin, and your own life, repent means to turn, leave it behind, and follow Jesus. To chase after Jesus. If a child can get that, why can't we as adults? It's hard for me sometimes to get that, but that child said, it means I need to turn away. Right? And so repent means to turn, but that involves action. That requires you to move. That requires you to do something about your faith. To turn and turn to Jesus. In this context, Jesus was saying, prepare yourself. Do what you have to do because the King is coming. You better repent. Jesus is warning us. The King is on His way and He's a big King. You better repent. 
I'm afraid that we've watered that down. And I think a lot of us believe that all that means is, oh, I better go to church on Sunday. The king's coming, I, I better go to church on Sunday. The king's coming to destroy, hey, he's not playing around. We had a, a young adult, um, kind of like a Bible study at Camille and Sally's house last night with some other uh, people our age in, in Knoxville area. And we talked about, man, God is a big God. Who's, he's, he runs everything. And Jesus is saying, man, get yourself ready. You better turn from what you're doing and turn to the king. You have to repent. And so I can already see it on your faces, right? Some of y'all are already tuned out, and I apologize if you're tuned out, but I see on some of your faces you're asking, well, pastor, how do I do that? And I'm thankful for some of those faces I'm seeing. How do I do that, pastor? How do I repent? One, you have to turn away from what you're currently thinking and living and follow Jesus and think how he thinks and live as he lives. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. Right? You guys know that in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. And, and what that means is if we keep going with this kingdom, this kingdom example, right? If we're all sinners, that means our sin has offended the king. Y'all realize that? That our sin offends God. It's disgusting to God. God hates our sin. And the Bible tells us we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that there's no one on the earth except for Jesus who lived has not offended the king. And the king says the, the penalty for you offending me with your sin equals death. The king has issued it. If you offend the king with your sin, you're going to get death. Do you believe that? Have you forgotten that? That our sin and how we've offended the king equals death. But there's good news. The good news is that God shows his love for us. Even now while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is that, yes, we offend the king with our sin. But the king loves us so much that we don't die for our sin. We don't die because we've offended the king. But the king's son dies for us who have offended him. Have you thought about it like that? That the king's son comes out and says, Dad, don't, don't destroy them. Dad, I love them. I'll take their penalty. King, I've offended you. Or they've offended you. But I'll die for them. And the king sends his son to die for us. The death that we should have faced from the king has been paid by the king's son. Are y'all with me? I heard that. That was, that was, that was impressive. Mitch, you better go check on that too, buddy. And we know that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you shall be what? You shall be saved. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. We sang songs about it this morning. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will forever be about Jesus. And it will never, ever, one time, ever be about you. Amen. Not once. Even the king's son dying for you wasn't about you. It was for the king's glory. I think we've forgotten 
Repent means that you turn from believing that there is anything that you can do to save yourself because you cannot save yourself. The only way to stand right before the king is to repent and to turn to the king's son, Jesus Christ. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to first repent. But then you also, and I think this is where we're in trouble in America. Right? I think this is where we're stuck with Christianity in America. I don't think we've counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. I don't, I don't think we've counted the cost of what it means to truly follow Jesus and what that will cost us. Turn to Luke chapter 14 with me. I love being in the Gospels, I'm telling you. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Luke 14, verse 25, it says, Now the great crowds accompanied him and turned and said to him, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Verse 31, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him, come against him who with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33 says, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I know that sounds harsh. Let me read that first part for you one more time. Anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple, cannot follow me. Now, the Bible isn't saying um, that you literally hate your parents, you literally hate your children, your wife, your husband, right? I know some of the kids would have been like, yes, I don't have to follow my mom and dad anymore. I don't have to listen to them. That's not what that means. And I know some parents would say, yes, I can finally admit that I hate and, and I don't want to hear who they hate, right? That's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is that your love for everything else has to look really, really low compared to your love for Jesus, which should look like greatness. You guys with me? Your love for everything has to look like nothing compared to love that you have for Jesus Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 37, the one who loves a father or mother, mo- mother more than me is not worthy of me. If you choose to follow Jesus, he might call you to do something like leave your family. You understand that? I understand that very well. 18, 12 years old, I, I got the call from Jesus. Donnie, you're going to be a pastor. I said, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Okay. 18 years old, I hear God say, Donnie, you've been running for me for too long. I'm sending you to East Texas. No, I'm not going. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. And I was in East Texas for seven years. And then we got to call to East Tennessee, and we're excited to be here. Jesus might call you to leave your family. And I know some of you are saying, praise God. 
right? Some of y'all are eager to do that. But what he's trying to say here is that, yes, you love your family. Yes, you love your mom. Yes, you love your dad, your children. And, but your love for them must be less than the love that you have for Jesus. And I want you to notice the end of verse 26. Read it with me one more time. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, look at this part, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Even your own life. That doesn't mean that you hate yourself. Jesus goes on to say that a builder doesn't start building without counting the materials and making a plan. You don't do that because you don't want to get to a point and go, oh, I'm done because I don't have enough materials. I've experienced that this past week, ripping up the carpet in our house. I hate it. I'm over it already. We're almost done. It's driving me crazy. I got dust in my eyes. I can't breathe. Right? Next time, we're just going to hire someone or get y'all to come do it with me. Right? I'm over it. But what Jesus is saying with that, the question is, you have to ask yourself, will your Christian life only be half built and abandoned because something else came up? Is your Christian life going to be summed up when you're dead that you abandoned your faith because you loved your money too much? Or you loved your family more than you loved Jesus? Is your Christian life going to be summed up and abandoned with, man, yeah, he loved Jesus, but he sure loved his social status more. He loved what other people thought about him more than he loved Jesus. Is your Christian life going to be summed up in, man, you focused your whole love on Jesus Christ? Or is it going to be summed up with, man, you're half built. You halfway follow Jesus. And there is no halfway following Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now. There is no halfway. Jesus says, you love me more than anything. What is the cost? It might cost you to follow Jesus, your social status. It might cost you your wealth. It might cost you the control of your money. It might cost you your time, your career. You might be hated and and even separated from your family. It might even take you to death. Do you understand that? I wasn't going to... Turn to Matthew 10 with me. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. God's been convicting me lately with um, these, these shootings. And I'm glad, Charlie, we prayed for the families um, in Florida. And, uh, you know, we're, and I just want to say this. As a church, we're, we're working towards a security plan for our church. We want you all to feel safe in here. But I want us to read this. God convicted me just a couple days ago on this. Matthew 10, verse 16. Here's a big cost. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to understand this. Because if you don't understand this, then you, you might as well not follow Jesus. Y'all with me? Matthew 10, look at verse 16. This is Jesus saying, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witnesses before them and the Gentiles when when they deliver you. You hear me? When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you will to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." 
Now hear me when I say this. We're going to make this church secure. But the Bible tells us we're going to be persecuted for our faith. And if you as a believer are not counting the cost, is your life worth more than anything else um, if you love Jesus and you lose your life? What, wor- what is more worthy to you? We sang a song that God is more precious than silver, more costly than gold. Is that true with your life? Is your life more uh, worthy than Jesus? Because the Bible tells us we're going to be persecuted. I don't pray for this, but if the day comes and someone comes in here and holds a gun to my head and says, do you believe in Jesus? If you say yes, I'm going to shoot you. My hands are going to hit that ceiling. I'm going to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And when my killer is done with me, I hope he gets saved. I didn't, I didn't really hear a real amen in that one. Don't live in fear if the king has already told you what's going to happen. But if your life is worth more than following Jesus, you're wasting your time in here this morning. Jesus said you have to hate your mother, your father, your children, your wife, your husband, even your own life. The love for Jesus has to be the greatest thing in your life. Hmm. I wonder if we really get that in America. I don't know. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus doesn't mean a trouble-free life. We must carefully count the cost of becoming Christ's followers so that we know what we're getting into and won't be tempted later to turn back and say, I'm done with this. Y'all with me? There is a cost of following Jesus and being his disciple. It isn't a cost of effort. It's not about, oh, I need to try really hard. Oh, I need to go to church. It's not about that. The cost is you simply loving Jesus more than everything else in the world. That is the cost of following Jesus. And remember, he took on your death so that you can be in the right standing with the king. He gave his life so that you may live. And that's, if you don't love him for that, then you've grown numb to what he really did and what he really went through. This leads us to our last step and what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. It's simply love Jesus. I don't think Jesus was trying to give us an impression that following him is all about this like joyless life that leads to death and you're never going to have fun. It's always going to be boring. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give what? Life and life what? Man, abundantly. I've experienced this abundantly. I've gone places that Jesus has taken me that I've never imagined in my little ghetto childhood that I would be able to go and experience. But Jesus is good. He gives us life and life abundantly. But I don't think we take Christianity and, 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 and we don't take it and make it into something boring. The Christian life is fun. It's good to follow Jesus. If your life is boring, that's your fault. I'm telling you right now, those fishermen who were not good at fishing, their life is way better because they followed Jesus Christ. Or they could have been stuck on a boat, never catching a fish. Skip, they needed a fishing lesson from you, buddy. Right? If your Christian life is boring, that's your fault. You put yourself in a box and you made Jesus this boring little figure. And Jesus like, man, I'm life. I'm love. I'm life. Follow me. We'll see how boring it gets. But we have to count the cost. If you look at Jesus and his teaching, which you should do, right? You should look at Jesus. You should be reading the Gospels 
daily, you would see that Jesus gives us two basic commands. Basic commands. Turn to Matthew. Now, I know you guys know this by heart, but turn to Matthew. I want you all to see it. Matthew 22, verse 37. And y'all know this. I know you do. But it's good to read it, right? Right, Taylor? It's good to read things. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he uh, yeah, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and all of the prophets. Guys, that is the command that Jesus gives us. Love God with everything that you have. Every aspect of your life. Love God. Love people more than you love yourself. And I know some of y'all are thinking that following Jesus is about following rules or a church creed. And although we need rules and church creeds aren't as bad, all right, there, some of them are good. Jesus said it's not about that. It's about loving God and enjoying Him. 1 Peter 1.8.9 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We can have joy in following Jesus, knowing persecution is coming, knowing it might lead us to our death, but we can have joy in the fact that we know the outcome of our faith is everlasting life with Jesus Christ. We can rejoice in that because we know what our faith leads to. Peter's saying, man, you love Jesus because Jesus is good and you can live and because you know your outcome. You will be with Jesus. So let me say this. Southern Baptists have joy. Live and be free. Live and be free. I'm afraid some of y'all put your faith in this box that Jesus wants nothing to do with. Live and be free. It's not about rule following or living the best good old boy or girl life, but loving Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we can live how we want. Jesus said, John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments. First John even goes further to say that if you don't love the people that you can see around you, then you don't love God who you cannot see. So it's not about you just doing what you want. It's about loving God and following Jesus. To be his disciple. To go where he would go. To say what he would say. To live as he lives. Following Jesus. To be a disciple, you have to repent. You have to turn from yourself and follow Jesus. It's impossible to follow someone and not end up like them. Right? It's impossible. Me and my mentor uh, in in college, his name is Josh Chambers. I've I've talked about him. Um, He's a six foot nine, big old black dude on the basketball team, right? And he grew up in southern Texas in Mejia. I don't know if you've ever been to Mejia, um, Don and Charlotte, but Mejia is a small country town. 
I'm talking the gas station serves chicken and they have groceries in it. That's about it. Other than that, that's the only place you can go to get gas, groceries, and chicken is the, is the gas station, right? And I grew up in Modesto, California, where it's ghetto, right? So we got country and ghetto. We came together. But I feel like I was, you know, even Paul told Timothy, imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you, you can't follow someone without kind of becoming them. And I hope that y'all don't become completely like me, right? I, I would love to see everybody have some tattoos. That would be awesome, right? <laughs> tattoos and Ken Smith have a beard. I would love to see that. But I would much rather see us living and being like Jesus. I would love to see our church become more Christ-like because all of us are deliberately choosing to be a disciple, to follow Jesus. I would love to see all of us look like Jesus Christ. But you have to deliberately follow Jesus. Luke 6, 40 says, A disciple is not above his, t- his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. That's the whole point the, of being a disciple. We follow Jesus. We follow him and imitate Jesus. We carry on his ministry, telling people they need to repent. The king is coming and, more, and, and become more and more like him in the process. That's the whole point of being a disciple. But what I see is so many people believe that a person could be a Christian without being like Christ. Y'all didn't hear me on that one, did you? What I see more and more today is there's people that think that they can be a Christian without being like Christ. We're going through the book Multiply, which is all about discipleship on Wednesday night. Right? And this is what it says about discipleship. It says, a follower who doesn't follow. That doesn't make any sense. But many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples in the boat and say, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry. I don't want you to actually care about me or do anything I do or change your life at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say that they believe in me and call themselves a Christian. That doesn't make any sense. And I hope some of you were, I hope you weren't about to say amen when I said that. (laughs) But a Christian who doesn't follow Christ does not make sense. A follower who doesn't follow does not make sense. But unfortunately, that's what we do every single day. And I see it more and more, and it breaks my heart more and more. The more I see it, the more I'm so afraid that, man, the Christian church in America is dying. And that, and that um, um, when we met last night as a young generation, as young people, right, we, we met and we talked about what is the problem with Christianity in America. That's it. We got Christians not acting like Christians. We got followers who don't follow. We got people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, where's your fruit? I don't know. I follow Jesus. Well, if you, do you? I'm, I'm going to kill you if you believe in Jesus. No, I don't believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Really? You follow Jesus? There's a lot of people, you can believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe and they shudder. But what makes the difference is, are you following Jesus? Have you surrendered your life do you, does everything else in the world look like you hate it compared to how much you love Jesus? Or is there some things that you love more than Jesus? If somebody was to look at your life, would they be able to say, yeah, that person follows Jesus because I can see it. 
Or would they be able to say, no, that, that person follows their money. I can tell because they follow it. No, that, that person follows their fear. I can tell because they, they follow it. No, that, that person is a disciple of their self because they're, they're so selfish. Being a disciple of Jesus means to follow Him. Are you a follower who doesn't follow? If so, repent. Are you a follower who doesn't follow? If so, you need to repent. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you repented? Are you ready for the king when he gets here? Because the king is coming. Jesus is coming back. Praise God. Have you counted the cost? Have you decided to answer the call? Because Jesus, just like he did 2,000 years ago with those disciples, he's calling you to follow him. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Are you a disciple? Are you a follower who actually follows? Let's pray. The worship team can come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, if we first and foremost to thank you.